0: All right, so we have three weeks left in Ecclesiastes. Uh, We're going to cover a larger section today, starting in chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going to go into chapter 11, if you want to turn there. Um, I've made this comparison before, but the book of Proverbs uh, tells us what is generally true about the world. It gives us wisdom in general truths. Uh, so, for example, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Or, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. And, and we tend to appreciate such sayings, and I think part of that is because they tend to give us a sense of control, of certainty in this world. Well, if we, if we do this, then we get this. If we live like this with wisdom and righteousness, then we have, things will turn out well for us, and if we don't, then we know who to blame. But then Ecclesiastes comes along and observes that these general rules are not always the case in our world. Sometimes the same event happens to both the righteous and the wicked. Time and seeming chance happen to everyone, and Things are not as predictable or satisfying as we would like. You can't just live wisely and morally and ethically and justly and be guaranteed a certain outcome, an easy, pain-free life. And this is part of the frustration and vanity that Ecclesiastes goes on and on about again. Like, we don't, life is unpredictable. It's un, if I may create a word, unharnessable. We can't, like, harness it up and, and reel it in and, and use it to our own ends. And yet now as the author is beginning to wrap things up here, he returns to consider wisdom. And despite all that he's said and seen and confessed about wisdom and the frustration of not being able to control life by just living wisely, he comes back and he defends wisdom. This whole section we're going to cover today is essentially a vindication of wisdom. Essentially it says, yes, 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 all of that, all that we've seen, life is frustrating. No matter how you live, you don't get complete control over life. But the way of wisdom is always best, no matter what, no matter the results. And this is extremely relevant for us. Uh, The topic of wisdom is something that relates to our whole lives, every day. Basically, every decision we make, every thing that we do, all the paths we choose, the way we spend our time, the words we speak, the emotions and thoughts we we feel and think we continually have before us the way of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and submitting to him and his word, or we have the way of folly and foolishness, of rejecting the Lord and choosing to do things our own way. And we need to know, is wisdom worth it? Is the way of wisdom worth living? Does it make any difference? Though we rarely put it in those words, perhaps we are asking that question all the time. So let's dive into this. We're going to start in chapter 9, verse 13. we We're going to read a little bit longer of a section here up front. It begins, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city With few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone, he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay off great offenses to rest couple more verses here. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich, those who should be wise, sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So the first illustration we get here in uh, the f- verses 13 and, and on from that is really key here, and it sets up everything that we're gonna look at today. So in this illustration, you have, notice the words used to describe the the two different men. You have this great and powerful man who comes up against this little city with few men in it, and the one man that we do learn about in this city is poor, is poor. So you have these contrasts here. This great man with his great army comes up against this little city with this poor man in it. However, this poor man has something valuable. He has wisdom. He doesn't have wealth. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have greatness. He doesn't have an army, but he's wise. And because of this, he's able to deliver the city. Now, if it stopped right there, that would be the makings of a great movie. And we'd be satisfied at the end. We'd all, you know, think highly of this this little poor man who saved the city with his wisdom. Perhaps we'd want to wish we were like him. But that's not the end of the story, and that's not the point of this story. It immediately goes on, and despite his great act of wisdom in rescuing the city, he isn't remembered. He doesn't gain respect. He doesn't gain honor. And so the question we're left asking is, was it worth it? Is it worth being like that poor, wise man? Was was that a life worth living? Or should we instead try to be powerful and wealthy, whether or not we're a fool? For you and I, in our daily lives, is it worth it when wisdom and godliness and faithfulness don't pay? At work, when, you, when doing the right thing only gets you ostracized rather than respected, is it worth it? When you refuse to join in on, on gossip or course joking and lose your place in, in your group, is that worth it? When you respond to an argument at at home, with friends, at work, with gentleness and humility and patience, and it doesn't win you the argument, is it worth it? When you make career choices with different priorities as a Christian, and it causes you to lose some opportunities, is it it. The author gives us an answer very clearly in verse 16 there. This is kind of a, a key to this whole passage. He says, wisdom is better than might. Even though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, wisdom is better than might or power, success, greatness, opportunities, ease, comfort, pleasure. Doing what is right and wise is always best no matter the results even if you're disregarded and forgotten or mistreated and persecuted. Of course, this doesn't mean there's anything wrong with power and opportunities and comfort and ease and all of those things, but none of them are the barometer of what we ought to do. The barometer is, what does it mean to live wisely and faithfully in this moment? How can I live wisely and faithfully in a way that honors God and and loves others at work, at home, in the various positions we're in, whether positions of authority, positions of needing to submit to authority, when we're angry, disappointed, confused, what does wisdom look like? So having defended wisdom, the author now turns to providing, giving us some wisdom. And so chapter 10 contains a number of Proverbs. It reads much like the book of Proverbs. So wisdom is defended. He says wisdom is worth it. Now let's consider some of what wisdom looks like. So starting in verse 8, we'll work through some of these. It says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and no one and, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So the big idea here is that there is there are risks and dangers everywhere in life. Uh, the, it, he's not saying don't, don't be one who goes and quarries stones or splits logs or any of those any of those things. The, the idea is just that whatever you do, there are risks in life. Whether at work, Whether at home, there are occupational hazards. Even if you're staying at home with kids, there are occupational hazards. Again, life is unpredictable and uncontrollable, at least to us. However, wisdom helps one to succeed, is how he wraps that up there. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So that, that is, you can work and live in a wise way with forethought, with intentionality, with prayer, using the minds that God has given us. And by doing so, minimize risks and dangers. Not get rid of them, but minimize them. Don't just keep chopping wood with a dull axe. Sharpen the blade. Don't just go through the motions of life. Don't just follow and do what everyone else is doing. Think. Use wisdom and prayer. The author continues with more Proverbs in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Uh, One commentator said that Um, you could translate that last verse to be something like, he would get lost even if you put him on an escalator. One way to describe a fool. So the focus here is words. One way to distinguish a wise person from a fool is by how they speak. The wise speak graciously. Uh, Verse 12 says that a wise man's words win him favor. Uh, The idea is that his words are gracious favorable, agreeable. Elsewhere, Scripture calls us to live, as much as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. We are called to not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And I love what Proverbs 15 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, the mouth of the wicked, pours out evil things. And so you get a picture of wisdom involving weighing carefully what we say, speaking diligently, wisely, in order to bring about grace and peace, in order to to love, especially when there are tense and difficult situations. Take a second and just consider your own words, how How are you doing? How do you do with speaking in such a manner and speaking carefully and wisely in order to bring about peace and love? Do your words tend to be gracious? Are they thought through for the sake of love? Fools, on the other hand, are careless with their words. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. So a fool is always just spewing out words carelessly, thoughtlessly, arrogantly, causing much division and harm. I don't think any of us probably have to think back that long to times when we caused harm, caused disruption with our words. It's humbling. The author continues with a few more Proverbs here. Verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of... The nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. So There's a few things in here, but we might sum up this section as as the use and misuse of God's gifts. Uh, In the first part, you have the king and his princes getting drunk and feasting in the morning. You have this picture of just living a life of constant indulgence and pleasure and carelessness, picture of sloth and laziness, and this causes them to be horrible rulers, and it's a curse on the land. But as you go on, you see that the problem isn't the drinking and the feasting and the pleasure in themselves because bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. So there's a place for enjoying the good gifts that God gives us. There's a place for joy, food, drink, and the wealth that God gives. God gives these things for us to enjoy as we receive them from His hand. And at the same time, hard work and diligence are also good. But none of this, whether pleasure or hard work, is an end in itself neither pleasure nor hard work, can answer the meaning of life for us, can give us the satisfaction that we want. And so we need wisdom to know when do we pursue this, when do we pursue that? To what amount do we give ourselves to these things, to what amount do we give ourselves to these things? Now, that kind of talk, that kind of wisdom, this situational wisdom can be hard for some of us because some of us want black and white In every situation. We want a lightning bolt from heaven to tell us what to do. We want to know that in every situation we are making the one singular right choice. And so when we hear things like feasting is good, but overfeasting and being a glutton is not, we want to know, well, where's the line? Where is that line? Or when our words can bring about favor and grace, but speaking too much or too rashly can show that we're a fool, we want to know, well, Where's that line? How do we know when to speak and how much to speak? And those of us that struggle with it. Given you the next few verses, has given us the next few verses, um, which help tie all of this together, help help us live in this world with wisdom. The question is, how do we live in a world that is uncertain and predictable? How do we live in a world where we struggle to know the right thing to do in every situation, and we don't know the outcome of everything we're going to do? How do we keep from being crippled by the unknown and our lack of control. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So you get a picture here of taking calculated risks. I I think the context is specifically about business or investing here, uh, but it applies to to more than that. We might say today, don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. Diversify your investments. And the reason is because you don't know the future. You don't know what will succeed and what will not. You don't know where disaster will come and what it will come to. And hence, every decision that we make carries some risk. We don't know the outcome. We don't control the outcome. Life in this world, as long as we are not God, involves risk. This is true in business and investing and in our personal lives. We can act and be one that likes making decisions and moving forward, and there are risks. We can be one that does nothing, and there are risks. Even if you hold on to your money and you distrust the banks and the stocks and bonds and all of that stuff, inflation will come and your money won't be worth as much anymore. There are risks, no matter what we do. You can, using the analogy here, you can observe the wind and the clouds and you wait for just the perfect time to sow your seeds and make a decision and you never do it because that perfect time doesn't come. There are always risks. We like to think that we are in control. We like to think that if we just live a certain way and live with wisdom, then we can control the outcome. Or if we, if we are moral and have enough good character and moral resolve, we will be kept from difficulty. That we never really have to take risks, but that's an illusion that Ecclesiastes is hammering again and again and again, and exposing as false. That's not how this world works. We are not in control. That's not how God has ordained that our lives be. Life involves taking risks, which doesn't mean living foolishly, which doesn't mean just throwing everything to the wind and doing anything and everything. We don't forsake wisdom and patience and prayer, but we also don't wait until there seems to be zero risk. These last few verses here, the author continues on that same thing, but he connects it to the sovereign rule of God and helps us wrap it up. So verses five and six. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Again, we are not in the position of God, and as such, life is unpredictable. God rules sovereignly over all things, but we don't fully know his work. Yes, we have responsibility for our actions and decisions, but we don't control their outcome. We don't know which of our efforts will succeed and do well, which of our efforts will struggle and perhaps fail. Uh, This is true across the board, where you choose to live Where you choose to go to church, what friend group you choose to be a part of, what school your kids go to, what career or career change you choose, where you go on vacation, which political candidates you support. We use wisdom. We don't know the outcome of our decisions. This is simply the situation we are in, in all of these things and more. We can and should seek wisdom and to live in a way that glorifies God and loves others, but we don't see the beginning from the end. We don't know the results of our actions, and thus everything involves risks. And when we hear this, we tend to run in two directions, some of us in one and some of us in the other. Some of us tend to respond to the unpredictability of life life by being overly cautious. We try to protect ourselves and control the future by being conservative and patient in everything and often refusing to do anything, refusing to make any decisions or act. And in reality, we have a hard time trusting God and acting in risky faith. Again, we tend to want God to give us a lightning bolt. Just tell me what to do. And we're crippled with the thought of making a wrong decision. On the other hand, some of us tend to respond to this by trying to take control, trying to harness up life by being overly bold and rash. And we think we can protect ourselves and control the future by always making quick and decisive decisions. We are like the fool who multiplies words even though he doesn't know what is to come. We like to appear more certain than we are. But again, really, we have a hard time trusting God to take care of things if we don't, or if we wait. We don't stop to pray about a decision, seek wise counsel. We don't really learn from the past, learn from our mistakes. We just want results, and we want them now. And in reality, both tendencies fail to trust God. Wisdom says that there is a time for trusting God in waiting patiently and a time for trusting God in decisively, boldly, riskingly acting. In a world like ours, we need wisdom to know when to act, speak, and decide, and then we need faith to actually do it leaving the results up to God. And then we need faith as we go and things turn out differently than we thought to continue in the way of what is right and wise. This is what wise living looks like in an unpredictable world, in a world where faith and trust in God are always necessary. Now we could go on and on about all the things that that applies to. We could go on about all the mysteries and unknowns that we have in life and how much life this world that God has created demands that we trust God in so many areas. But we'd be remiss if we did not also consider all of the things of which we do not have uncertainty and are not unpredictable. God has given us many things that we can know with confidence. And God has given us many things that give us hope and strength and perseverance and joy through this very life. We know that there is a God who has created everything and that the world is not actually unpredictable and chaotic and out of control. We know that the God who is ruling and ruling over everything is not capricious, but good and caring, and intimately engaged with His world. We know that despite our sinful and foolish rebellion against God and His ways, that He loves us, and that He moved towards us, and came into this world, and gave Himself to suffer and die for us. We know that God desires a relationship with us, and went to these incredible and horrible lengths to draw us to Himself. We know that with confidence. And we know that each and every day, we do not stand or fall by our wisdom, by our making the one perfect right choice in every situation. We also do not stand or fall by our sinlessness. Each and every day, we stand or fall by the grace of God, given freely to us in Jesus, on our best days, on our worst days. as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Now he's using wisdom in a little bit different sense than Ecclesiastes, but still, our way to God is not through our own wisdom, is not through our figuring it out, our doing the right and perfect thing in every moment. And that is exactly how God designed it. The world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, which is Christ crucified to save those who believe. That is where our hope is each and every day. And we know that for those who put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that God is working out all things in this crazy and unpredictable life for his good purposes and for our good. He's leading us to that final day when he will welcome us into his presence with joy of which we can have confidence even now as we cling to him by faith. So may we rest and rejoice in that as we go through a life that seems very unpredictable and chaotic and at times vain and meaningless. It is not. And God has given us what we need. Let's pray.